0: Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of his word in today's message. John chapter four is our guide this morning. We're in a series entitled Entrusted. I ask you the question, if you were to learn to play the guitar, how how would you do that? It's interesting, that's not a hypothetical question in the Eldridge household. Over the course of the last year, approximately, we've got two of our boys that have picked up the guitar as a hobby. And that has uh, largely been because we've got some really talented musicians here at Dawson who have been willing to help them invest in really good guitar, be able to put some money into that, and then uh, they've been able to invest in their time to help uh, both of, of our boys who are playing the guitar to to know what to do with it, where to how to hold it, where to put your fingers on the on the fretboard there, and what what strings to strum to make the chord sound that you're trying to to make there. And they largely have learned to play the guitar because of the example of people that they're following. Uh, Just the imitation of those who are talented. One of the advents of the internet is that there are millions of how to play the guitar videos on YouTube, every song imaginable, you can find someone teaching you how to play that song. And so we learn best not by going to the library and checking out a, a couple of books on the history and the evolution of the guitars in the United States or or finding out you know how, how do we you know what guitar to buy and what's the history of the person that invented the Fender company and becoming an expert on that? No, it is it is just sitting down with someone and watching them and and imitating. You learn to play baseball, I mean, you're going to have to pick up a bat at some time. And of course, you could read the history of Abner Double Day and find out about the evolution, the origins of baseball coming from Great Britain. Yeah, of course, you could do that. You could become an expert on the National League and the American League. You can become an expert on the Negro Leagues. You can do all of that. But the best way that you're going to learn to play baseball is by picking up a ball and throwing it with someone. The best way you're going to learn to hit is is by watching someone who says, hey, this is where you stand. This is what you do with your knees. This is what you do with your hands here. This is where your head goes. Watch me, now you do it. Watch me, now you do it. Watch me, now you do it. You want to learn to cook? <laughs> of course, you can, you can uh, get all kinds of Cookbooks and learn every recipe imaginable. You can get recipes from your grandparents that have been passed down from one generation to the next, but but sometime at some place, someone is going to have to invite you into the kitchen and say, Watch me. There is something about imitation. There's something about learning close up and personal. How to do things? How do we learn to do things that we love? How do we learn to do things that enrich our lives? We have models that we imitate. Church, we've been entrusted. We've been entrusted with a responsibility to be witnesses entrusted with a message to proclaim, to share, a message of God's love that has captured our hearts. and we've been entrusted with the responsibility to share that message with with our actions and the way that we love Jesus in our life, but the words that come from our mouth that point people. Because someone, somewhere at some time, modeled that in your life somewhere, sometimes, someone told you about the hope that it captured their hearts. Now, how do we share with others? Well, what if I told you that we had a model to imitate? What if I told you the very subject of the message, the living Jesus Christ, is also a model for us to imitate, to point people to him? Hear the word of the Lord in John chapter four this morning, starting in verse one as we're entrusted with a model to imitate. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman, verse 7, from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, what? Give me a drink three principles that I want us to see in this passage of scripture that are models for us to imitate here of how Jesus is intentional in pointing this woman, this anonymous woman that is sitting there at the well with as Jesus is sitting at the well who comes to bring or into to get water and to bring water back to her family. What does Jesus model for us? Well, he models first in this passage a, a willingness to go out of his way. Now, if you're looking at John chapter four, it's easy for us to see Jesus had to go through Samaria. And if you have any familiarity with that region, you would say, well, of course he had to go through Samaria. If you're looking at a map here, Judea to Galilee is going to take you. If you just go north, you're going to go right through Samaria. So of course, I mean, if you're living in Gardendale and you want to get to Huntsville, you're going to go from from Gardendale to Decatur, and then you're going to go over to Huntsville and you're just going to go through Coleman. Go right past Coleman. And so if you're looking at a map, this makes sense, but if you understand the, the history of this place, you would understand that no well-respecting Jewish rabbi would have ever traveled through Samaria, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. You know what they would do is they would go east to Jordan River and go around bypassing Samaria. So the only reason that Jesus had to go through Samaria is because he has a divine appointment with this anonymous woman who he's going to meet at this well. The only reason that he had to do this isn't because of a geographical necessity. There are a variety of ways, ways that were much more popular for him to travel to this destination. The reason that he had to do it is because there is going to be a divine appointment where he is able to talk not just about physical water, but about living water. He had to. He had to. He was willing to go out of his way to have this conversation. He was willing to be intentional to have this conversation. For those of us that are in this room, it's just a good reminder for us that to point people to Jesus requires intentionality. It requires us to not accidentally stumble into these conversations, but to prayerfully ask God on a daily basis to give us, to give us opportunities to be witnesses for Him and the wisdom to see those opportunities, but more than that, the courage to act upon. opportunities it is a prayer asking God to to bring you to those places of the Samaria in your life and the courage to to walk through those places and for most of us that are in this room this is not a geographical location but what it is going to be for you and for me is a willingness to adjust our calendar and our schedule at times Sometimes God is bringing us to conversations with people and opportunities to point people to him, but we don't heed those opportunities, nor do we act upon those opportunities because what? We have another place to get to really soon and our calendar becomes the very thing. The schedule becomes the very thing that we're not willing to adjust to be able to ask the next question sometimes or to pause long enough for a person to to sit in that conversation for long enough to say, you know, since you asked, do you have a couple minutes? Sometimes the greatest obstacle to us pointing people to Christ is not the lack of God's spirit working around us or even in us, but it's our willingness See those opportunities and act upon them. Jesus is going to Samaria because he's intentional. Jesus is going to Samaria because he has a divine appointment with this woman who, who she knows nothing of that appointment, but he does. He's willing to go out of his way, but also he's willing to cross a barrier. There are many barriers that you need to see in this passage here to fully understand the weight of what is happening. Jesus sits down at a well of tremendous historical significance, but there's going to be a divine appointment here. Jesus is wearied from the journey. His body aches. He's hungry. The disciples go out for food to bring it back to him, and there is this woman in the heat of the day at noon that comes to the well. Now Jesus is going to do a few things here that she immediately is is flabbergasted by. Notice in our text here in verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to it, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Notice how John just fills us in, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus is crossing some social taboos here. Jesus is is crossing some social barriers, the first of which is is he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Now, for those of us that are in this room, it's easy for us to pass this off, no big deal, but understand this would have been immensely counterculture for a Jewish rabbi to do this. 8th century BC, just a little history lesson. 8th century BC, you have the Assyrians that swoop in, northern kingdom, this is going to be Israel, Capital is Samaria. The Assyrians sweep in 722 BC. They conquer the land. They deport the leading citizens and others. They kick them out. Not everyone is kicked out. Some others remain, the Assyrians come in, they intermarry, they bring with them their religious practices. Ultimately, they're going to set up another temple to rival the temple in Jerusalem. So when those Jewish people that had been deported come back into the land, they don't have anything to do with these people. They feel like they're religiously compromised. They feel like they're ethnically compromised. If you have read the Harry Potter novels, what we have here is the Jewish people thinking to themselves, hey, we're the pure bloods and you're the mud bloods. We don't want anything to do with you. It's simply one word, and that word is prejudice. It's prejudice. The Jews didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. John tells us that, and that little parenthesis that you find in verse nine here it is an understatement that Jesus doesn't heed because why, the love of God is going to be displayed. John chapter three, verse 16 is this wonderful contrast of here. You've got Nicodemus that is hearing, for God so loved the world, and the Jewish people were really comfortable as long as Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, because if the world means Nicodemus, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, Nicodemus is an upstanding religious leader. Leader of the day, of course, if that's the world, if that's whosoever, we're all in. But if you're telling me that Jesus loves this woman here, an anonymous woman, we don't even know her name. A woman that we're going to find out has a checkered background with broken relationships that are there. She's a Samaritan. You're telling me that God loves her too and this is what Jesus is showing us is that John chapter 3 verse 16 for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that God so loved the world that he would send his only begotten son whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that that wasn't just true for Nicodemus but it was true this anonymous woman. So he's breaking a a social taboo by even having a conversation with her because she's a Samaritan, but he's also breaking a social taboo by talking to her because she's a woman. Of course, this is a extremely patriarchal society. Of course, we were going back 2000 years ago, but understand that really what the rub is, is that that Jesus is a Jewish rabbi talking to this woman. And one of the distinctest of Jewish rabbis is in public, they didn't even talk to any women. And that included their own wife, uh, their, their wives and their daughters. So a Jewish rabbi in public wouldn't talk to his own wife or his own daughters. There was a sect, a little group of the Pharisees that were called the, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. And they were called that because they were infamous for when a woman came and was approaching them in public, they would close their eyes and continue to walk. So many of them would do this that they would run into a wall and bruised and become bleeding in their nose as they hit the wall. So they were serious about this posture of purity. And here is Jesus for everybody to see that he's talking to not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. He is crossing these barriers. Why? Because love knows no human barriers. And for those of us that are in this room that are followers of Jesus, we are called to not only go out of our way to point people to him, but we're called to cross over human erected boundaries and barriers. And sometimes those barriers are just simple prejudice that that we, like the Jewish people of that day, say, yes, the whosoever, and yes, the world, as long as the world and whosoever are people that look like us, talk like us, and think like us. And I'm comfortable with that. That was then, and that is in the heart that lurks in Christians now. Don't be deceived. Prejudice has no expiration date. And it still lurks in the hearts and the minds of Christians today. And so, of course, for us to move and to be faithful to what God has called us to do, as we're entrusted with the message, that message goes to the world. That message goes to whosoever. And there are times where we must press through our backgrounds of prejudice and and the feelings of human erected walls to be able to share the love of God that goes to the world and goes to whosoever. But sometimes the barriers are not prejudicial barriers. They're barriers, you know what, of fear. Don't you feel that? I mean, it's easy for us to have a conversation with someone about Auburn football and Alabama football and UAB football and Sanford football and Friday night lights. It's easy for us to say, oh, it was hot last week. Of course it was hot last week. It was hundred degrees and all those kinds of things. But then to go that next step and over the course of a conversation or multiple conversations to go to that place where you talk about the hope that lies within you, that is like going off the high dive. And we fear. What will they think of us? What will they say about us? And I think one of the greatest challenges to sharing the message of the hope that has captured our hearts is not a fear in 2023, at least in Birmingham, of physical persecution, but it is a fear of a loss of social acceptance and social capital. What We fear being that person we, we fear taking a conversation in a place where someone might look at us with with a little bit of, of a, you know a skeptical eye and so at times we we don't press through that out of a fear and what does that fear ultimately rise in and, and lie in it it is a barrier that is simply called pride one of the barriers to the message of the gospel being shared with those who live around us and go to school with us and work with us, is that ultimately what's most important to us is me, myself, and I. And God has called us to be crucified with Christ. No longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me and through me And so as we crucify self and we take up our cross, God has entrusted us with a message, a message that we share with those that we encounter here. Notice how Jesus is this model. He is a model that is willing to cross barriers. He's a model that is willing to go out of his way. And and we could share, well, just countless testimonies of how the grace of God captured your heart because someone went out of their way and someone crossed a barrier to share the message of the gospel with you. Some of you are familiar with the story of Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield was a tenured English and women's studies professor at the University of Syracuse. She and her partner were living their life, going through just the everyday pieces of life. Rosaria Butterfield knew one thing for sure, and that was there was a lot of things within the Christian faith that she just had an utter disdain for. She spent a lot of her academic sort of hobbies writing against the religious right, writing against the movement, especially the movement that we know as Promise Keepers. This is the late 90s. Promise Keepers comes to that area of Syracuse, and she writes an an op-ed just talking about the, the, the challenges of this movement, the harm that this movement is doing, and she publishes it in a local newspaper. That local newspaper runs it, and she receives, again, it's the late 90s, she receives a lot of mail in response. She says in her book, The Confessions of an Unlikely Convert, that she had two boxes that she put the mail in that she received. One box was sort of the hate mail. Who are you? We condemn you. We don't like you. It was interesting that she said almost exclusively that was a box written by Christians. Another box was um, go, girl. Go get them. Applauding. Tell the truth and say it louder. She gets one letter though that doesn't fit easily in the box, I hate you or go girl kind of box there. And this box was written or this letter was written by one man who was a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Ken who invited her and her partner over to his house to have dinner with he and his wife. And they went and they had a wonderful dinner. And that dinner led to another dinner and led to a friendship between Rosaria and her partner and Ken and his wife that went weeks and months and months until they eventually started attending the church. And in the midst of this, Rosaria becomes a follower of Jesus Christ and Christ captures her heart. And Much of her story is taking up the cross and, and ending that partnership and that relationship was a very difficult part of her own journey. And as she tells this story, it's a story that is just a remarkable reminder to me that in this day, it is easy for us to, to have these groups of us and them, those people and us but just be reminded that the gospel of grace is, is that, is that we, we all are sinners separated from God and that we also are all image bearers created in the image and likeness of God. And so there's dignity to every person. So, so we must avoid this us versus them we must avoid this this sort of pushing people away with 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 this sense of utter judgment understanding that all of us who are followers of Christ once were in darkness and have been captured by the light of Jesus we once were lost and we were not found by our effort and our merit but we were found by the grace and the mercy of God that has captured our hearts. And Jesus is a model to us. To to cross human erected barriers that oftentimes separate people into uh, us and them, Jesus has a willingness to go out of his way. Jesus is a model to imitate because he crosses barriers. But notice also in the few remaining moments that we have, he's willing to refocus the conversation. Notice in verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drink from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Notice that Jesus is going to do some things in John chapter Four that are just not options for you and for me later in later on in this conversation here, Jesus is going to be able to peer into her current living arrangement and the the, the broken string of relationships that is behind her. She is convinced of who he is because he has this supernatural insight into her life. She leaves this conversation, goes into her town and becomes an evangelist because of the insight that Jesus has into her. Now, I want us to know that part of the story. But I also want you to see how the conversation started. It started with Jesus making himself vulnerable to her. It starts with Jesus's humility. It starts with Jesus uh, recognizing in this moment that he needs her to provide him with something. Now, understand, she's confused in this moment for a couple of reasons. She says, you didn't bring anything to draw the water up from because she knows that if she hands Jesus a cup, he's going to be ceremonially unclean, unable to worship in the temple here. So by Jesus saying, you give me something, he is making himself vulnerable to her and actually is humbling himself to be able to talk not just about physical water, but ultimately about living water. This is a model for us. Notice what Jesus does in this moment. He asks her a question, and that question then leads to a true conversation that Jesus has with this person. Notice that Jesus doesn't fake his physical thirst to sort of bait and switch her. He doesn't fake the physical thirst to then drop a a gospel presentation upon her. No, there's a back and forth conversation that they're having where Jesus is, is redirecting and refocusing the conversation back to him as the source of living water. I'm really grateful that through the ages, God has used wonderful spiritual and gospel presentations to draw people to him. And I know that maybe some of you in this room were, were saved through the Roman Road presentation or the four spiritual laws, and God has used those and he will continue to use those, no doubt. But most often what God uses are not gospel presentations That in the moment, just dump all of that upon a person. But there are gospel conversations that people have over time often that point people back to Jesus. I learned this as a pastor probably 15 years ago. Sam was a member of our community. I got to know Sam through a variety of means and he asked me one time, David, can we have a conversation? I got some questions about God. We were at a coffee place and I come loaded with John 3.16. I come loaded with Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9. I walk through all of that. We come to sort of the end of my presentation, and I say, Sam, what do you think about this? Wanting in that moment to to see God save him, and he just looked at me with this bewildered look on his face, and he says, I don't even know. (laughs) I don't know what I think about this. And so I just paused long enough to say, hey, that's okay. And I realized, probably for the first time in my ministry, what Sam needed wasn't me giving this sort of canned presentation, but it was me being willing to just talk with Sam. You know, sometimes the question that you need to ask someone is, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? But you know, also a good conversation to have with someone and a good question to ask them is what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? What drew you to that profession? What are the challenges of that profession? What are the hopes that you have? You see, oftentimes that can be questions that you're having with a person in a moment, whether it be 10 minutes or 30 minutes. But most often, those are questions that develop in real relationships over weeks and months of trust and just getting to know someone to be able to, to earn the opportunity to point them to Christ. I'm reminded of this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I want you to hear just one story. One of our own, Joe Reigns. God used an ordinary person at a time and place in his life to point him to Jesus. Hear the story with me this morning.
1: When I got to college, I met this guy, nothing special, seemingly just an ordinary guy like me, Uh, but God used him to change my life. I'm the youngest of eight children i was only one of two that graduated from high school and only one to graduate from college and i say that because i was i I was an overachiever and being a christian kind of fit my you know fit that persona that i wanted so i went to church in in high school but i didn't really get it i didn't really understand it i didn't really understand what it meant to be a follower of christ then i got to college and. I joined a fraternity. I kept noticing one guy, um, there was just something different about him. I really couldn't put my finger on it. I really didn't understand it. And I finally went to him and I said, I said, I really need to hear what this is that you have. And he shared the gospel with me and he shared what it meant to be a, a believer and follower of Christ. We prayed together and and I accepted Christ um, with him. And then he continued to disciple me. Everything in the past had been about building myself up and it changed to, I want to become smaller to make Christ bigger. I was going to church for the wrong reasons. I wasn't searching for God. I wasn't searching for Christ. It was about me. It was about, about me building my persona. I'm many years past that, but we never stopped growing in, in, in our faith. And I think it all goes back to, we're not called to necessarily be extraordinary. We are just called to be faithful in our daily lives. A consistent daily walk has a, a profound impact on people.
0: A consistent daily walk has a profound impact upon people. Notice that God used someone in Joe's life to point him Over a period of weeks and a period of months, this fraternity brother, just through the consistent walk of him to point him to the source of living water. And don't think that God hasn't placed you for such a time as this in your campus, at your school, in your position to be able to live a life in such a way, a life that points to the love of Jesus that has captured your heart. That maybe God is using to to draw someone to that living water that you have drunk from. Hear the word of the Lord. But in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. You do this with gentleness and respect. Let us pray. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of
1: God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.